What an incredibly powerful message for us this morning. What a great question for us just to stop and ponder. Lord, how can it be? You, holy, infinite, eternal, creator God, could love me, could reach into my world as broken and fallen and and, and shattered and messed up as the pieces of my life are. You love me. Your word tells me that. And it would do us well for us to listen to the word of God about all that he says about us, for he says some incredible things about who we are and what we have and what he has done and what he has made us. And as we look at all of those things together, it ought to just crescendo in our lives into an eruption of worship. God, you are so good. How can it be? How can it be? I want to invite your attention to Joshua chapter 3. We're going to look at one of those places where we see the things that God is calling us to, the the movement that God is desiring from us and for us, and the place that He wants to take us. And as we continue in this journey looking at courageous faith, I want to remind you that the story of Joshua, the book of Joshua, is not nearly as much about the courageous faith of Joshua and the people of God as it is the faithfulness of their God that they have faith in. It's about the faithfulness of a promise-keeping God. It's about the faithfulness of a covenant-keeping God. We have looked at the story so far as God prepared the people to enter into the promised land. In chapter 1, we looked at how God commissioned and called Joshua and gave him courage by encouraging him and saying over and over again, be strong and courageous, do not fear, do not be dismayed. Every place where your foot touches, everywhere the sole of your foot treads will be your possession. I have given you this land. And then last week we saw in the readiness stage as they were uh, preparing their hearts and their minds to move into the promised land, they sent spies into the land. And as you well recall, as Mike Palmer preached last week, there was a soul that needed to be saved in Jericho. And one who had heard of the accounts of the power of our God, her name was Rahab, this one placed her faith in God. And she said, our hearts have melted knowing what he is capable of doing. And she made a commitment to them and asked for a commitment from those spies and said that she would hang a scarlet cord out of her window. And when they came into the city of Jericho, we'll get there in chapter 6 as we move forward. What a beautiful picture of the covering of God over her life. She and her household would be saved. An unlikely character was she. Thankfully, we can sing that song that we sang today against the backdrop of Scripture and realize that God still uses unlikely people. Amen? He uses people that are broken and shattered. He uses people that are not pure and perfect. He uses people that will trust Him by faith. Let me ask you a question. Can you think back to a time in your life when you lived with unbelievable anticipation. I I don't know what it was for you. Maybe as a child it was a birthday or it was Christmas. Maybe you looked forward to some event that was coming up. With anticipation, you looked forward to that. Maybe later in life it was graduation day. I, I know for you that are starting a new semester, a new trimester, graduation is looming out there somewhere. It may seem like it's a, a, a galaxy far, far away, but, but that day will come. But you're looking forward toward graduation. Maybe you looked forward toward a wedding day as all of the plans were in place and the engagement had happened and then you waited. There was that period of waiting. 
And the period of waiting built with anticipation. Anybody here know what I'm talking about? That feeling of excitement as you look forward to something. I, I don't know what it might have been for you. It might have been some other uh, thing that you were looking toward. Perhaps you were earning the right to compete in some great competition and you were looking forward to the results. And, and then the results came and you were looking forward to that next level of competition. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was football season or hunting season. You were looking forward to a different season of life that was coming up. Well, with anticipation often comes anxiety. Now, the reason that I bring that up as an intro to Joshua chapter 3, don't lose sight of what we've been discussing. This is a 500-year-old promise. God had promised to Abraham, you will possess this land. You will enter into this land. And now they're on the eve of crossing over. They are on the eve of passing into this land called Canaan. They're right on the river's edge, if you will. And God is calling the people to be prepared to cross over the Jordan River. I can't even imagine the, the anticipation, the excitement, the, the, the bubbling conversation. Can you imagine all of, of that in the hearts and lives of the Israelites as they stood before the River Jordan the evening before they're to cross? I mean, as they hear the waters rushing by, surely they heard the stirring echoes of the promises of God. Now, I want to be clear on this. Uh, many hymn writers have, have, have made some leaps, if you will, to talk about Canaan being a type of heaven. Well, I, I struggle with that analogy at some places. That analogy breaks down in some places. I mean, if, if Canaan is a type of heaven, then we've got to think about heaven in a different way. You see, they're going to cross over the river, and what are they going to face? They're going to face battles. They've got some warfare to take care of. They've got some giants in the land that they're going to have to deal with. There are cities of refuge there that, that would be placed there because of sin of people. And we know that heaven is a place where it is sinless perfection. It's a place devoid of anything that is less than perfect devotion to God. And so I think the analogy breaks short there, and it falls short. It breaks loose. Here's what I want us to see, though, and I want everybody's attention for a moment. Choir, are you listening? I caught you. All right. You listening, folks? Are you with me? That was four of you over here. Are we together this morning? The promised land, Canaan, is really a picture of stepping into the promises of God by faith. It's stepping into all that God has given us. Yes, we enter into battle when we enter into the promises of God. But there's some beauty there that you perhaps have never contemplated. As you begin to think about even the names of those cities of refuge, give to me encouragement of what God's calling us to today. A city named Righteousness. A city named Fellowship. We'll talk about those in subsequent sermons. But I want you to hear this. God is calling us to a place of righteousness. He's calling us to a place of fellowship with Him. One of the city names of refuge, it, it, it can be translated as shoulder. And, and I just immediately envision the good shepherd going out and finding that lost sheep and placing it on his shoulders and carrying it. And there have been times in my life I desperately needed Jesus to carry me through an impossible situation. And really, as we look at joy, Jordan, that's what we see today is an impossible crossing. And as we look at this together, then I, I hope that you'll get perspective for what God wants you to do and me to do. 
I really believe that today may be a seminal moment in the life of this church as we consider crossing into Jordan. I borrowed the hymn writer's words as a title for my sermon, On Jordan's Stormy Banks. You see, we are here in the midst of the flood stage. The River Jordan could have been, at this point, even as much as a mile wide. And now, well over a million Israelites are going to travel. They'll cross together there. The earlier generation had failed to enter in because of their lack of faith, and now they stand on the brink. Just by way of... A little more background, a man named Donald Campbell has written a book called Leader Under Fire, and it's about Joshua. And one of the chapters is this, Fording Uncrossable Rivers. Listen to these words. He said he was at a Bible conference, and after hearing a message at this conference on how to cope with discouragement, three people came up to the speaker almost immediately and nearly simultaneously. The first, a young mother who had not slept for the past two nights because her husband had come home at 10.30, two nights before, handing her divorce papers. The second, a pastor whose daughter was in a prodigal way running from the Lord. The third, who approached this speaker who has just preached on how to deal with, how to cope with discouragement. The third, a Christian worker whose husband had entered the hospital the day before to begin treatment of a brain tumor. Campbell goes on to say, the trouble is that we're facing problems that we simply cannot solve. Uh, There's a customer that I must sell. There's an exam that I must take. There's a a debt that I must pay. There's an in-law that I must endure. There's a habit that I must break. There's a marriage that I need to try to save. And he goes on and says this, those are all part and parcel of a fallen world. And life in this fallen world brings this, that when our hopes and joys are there, along with them there are problems that we simply neither have the strength nor the wisdom to meet the challenge. Am I on good ground with anybody this morning? Are you facing an impossible circumstance? I would encourage you with these words, if you're not right now, you will soon. Boy, that's encouraging, Pastor. Here's what I want to encourage you with, though, is that Henry Blackaby very simply said this, that you need to be spiritually prepared for God's miraculous work because it's when you come up against the impossible situation that God does His best work. And we meet God there at the point of a crisis of faith when we don't know where else to turn. And so in Scripture, the Jordan River's presence, I'm reading directly from your notes, along Israel's eastern edge stood as an enduring metaphor of transitions, especially entering into the promises of God. These transitions point directly to your life today as well. Here's what I want you to hear. For believers right now in 2017, here in the the 21st century, crossing Jordan is a movement from lower level living of Christian life that involves us trusting God to overcome spiritual obstacles. It's not about leaving this earth and going to heaven. It's not that we're standing at the end of our lives longing to cross over that river. No, it's about moving out of the wilderness. And listen to me, listen. I realize we've not even read the text yet, but as we set the stage for this story, it is vital for us to hear. There are so many Christians today that I call wilderness Christians who have never walked by faith in their sanctification. Oh, they trusted Jesus Christ to save them from hell. They trusted Jesus Christ and said, Yes, Lord, I don't want the punishment of sin, and I know that you took it. But they're walking around in the wilderness. 
There's an impotence about today's church. It's powerless. And students, let me speak to you. If you're going to live your faith out on a university campus, Christian or secular, it matters not. The devil is going to do all that he can to come and to steal and to kill and destroy. And if you are not trusting the Lord and walking by faith, then you're just spinning your wheel spiritually. And I believe that there are generations of Christians in America who have spun their wheels and they've never latched on by faith to the promises of God. I'm not talking about mysticism. I'm not talking about spooky spiritualism. I'm talking about actually living out what it is that God called us to live out. And crossing the Jordan really is a place where the people had to come by faith and say, Lord, we trust you. We trust that all that you have said is true. We trust that you have given us this land, and because of that, we will take it. We will possess it. So I invite your attention back now, if you will, to Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3, as we look at our text today, I believe we're going to see some remarkable things about experiencing God. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, he and all his sons of Israel, and set out from Shittim and came to cross the Jordan, and they lodged there before they crossed. So you see this mass, vast sea of humanity camping together right on the edge of the river. At the end of three days, the officers went through the midst of the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, with the Levitical priest carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. However, there shall be between you and it a distance of about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you shall go. Very significant statement here. For you have not passed this way before. There are three basic orders that I want you to see this morning regarding crossing the Jordan. The people have been camped out. And here Canaan, this promise of or this type of the promises of God. And these three orders very clearly fit our lives today. The first one is this. Number one, get ready. It's not going to be on the screen, so I really want you to just pay attention. Here's the word I want to give you. Preparation. Preparation for crossing over. Preparation. Now, he says very clearly, we're about to move across the Jordan. And they camp there, and they set out there, and Joshua tells the people uh, that are uh, the commanders to go through the camp. And so the, the commanders say, people, we are about to cross. And this is what Joshua is saying. Don't move until you see the ark move. But when you see the ark move, you better be ready. You need to be prepared. The ark of the covenant was a sign of the presence of God. God had said, I will tabernacle. I will dwell with my people. It was laden in gold. It was beautiful. Cherubim on top. And we know that later on the ark would be placed there. Uh, we've seen it in the tabernacle. It would be placed in the temple. It was a promise. And up until this point in the wilderness, God had led them by a, a pillar of cloud by day and of fire by night and now they're not any longer following those signs of God they're following the very presence of God too many people today are looking for signs and wonders and miracles and and uh, laying out fleece and I would simply say this if you'll get alone with God and watch for his movement when he moves you move he told them, be prepared. He didn't say, slack around and, and, and just wait and watch, and then when he moves, get ready. No, he said, get ready because God's about to move. 
I believe at Hardy Street Baptist Church, God is about to move. We've seen the rumblings of revival. We've seen stirrings in the hearts and lives of people. We've seen some marriages restored. We've seen some powerful things, including spiritual warfare. And in the midst of all of those things, we need to be ready. You see, being ready means that when the ark moved, that they weren't then saying, oh, I need to get my stuff together. No, they needed to be packed and ready to go as soon as God moved. Critical preparation. It's on your mark. It's get ready, if you will. And two things that are there that we need to see. Number one, be certain of divine leadership. Look at verse 3 again with me. Very, very plainly, it says this. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priest carrying it, then you shall set out. You, you be sure that God's moving. If you want to step into the promises of God, moving out of the wilderness and begin to live your life by faith, in victory. See, that, that's the ultimate of this. Christians who, who have been saved but are not claiming the victory that God has for them. They're not walking with power in their lives. They're not walking by the Spirit. And he says, in essence, be sure of divine leadership. Don't move until God moves. Don't move because a pastor says this is a good idea. Don't move because we just dream up some vision and say that's where we should go. No, the Word of God has told us which way we should go. And we follow the Spirit's leading. Very important. And the other side of this that I want you to, to see is that we need to be careful to keep Him in the forefront. You said He said keep a distance. Now, why would He say keep a distance? Two reasons. The first one is this. We want to make sure there's plenty of room for everybody to see. If the ark goes out front, then the people can see it. God is on the move. And as we see God on the move, then we begin to step out in boldness. And we'll see a beautiful, powerful illustration of faith as they step into the water and the water is dammed up. The water is stopped. They've seen this miracle before. They've seen God parting the waters of the sea as they were moving away from Egypt. And now as they're moving into the promised land, we're going to see another similar miracle. But the ark of God, carried by the priest of God, is carried right down to the river. And he says, stay back. Why? So that everybody can keep it in the forefront of their minds. And when they cross on dry ground, they'll see that the water is puddled up above where the ark of God is. God is the one that gets the credit for this victory. Too many times we want credit. Too many times we want to say, well, I'm a person of faith. It has nothing to do ultimately with the amount or the quality of your faith. It has everything to do with the object of your faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when they trusted God with confidence, knowing that He was the one who was leading them, they also had to step back because He's holy. Anybody remember any other biblical stories of someone who got a little close to the ark? What happened? Didn't turn out very well, did it? Uzzah reached up to steady the ark and he was killed on the spot. God said, I'm a holy God, and you can't enter into my presence any old way. You don't come to me on your terms. You don't come to me when and how you want to. You come on my terms. But I'm so thankful that we have a God who has revealed himself as approachable. He says, you can come to me. That's why all of the Old Testament chapters that were spent describing the length, the width, the dimension, the, the tapestry, all of the uh, materials of the tabernacle, God said, you do all of these things by faith, trusting me my way, and you can come into my presence, and I'll dwell with you. The same thing's true today. Many people in this room have made deals with God of all sorts, and you say, well, I, I, I'll just you know, do 
my best and God understands and me and God have a deal. No, you don't. We are enemies with a holy God until we come through Jesus Christ. And when we come by faith to Jesus Christ, all these promises are then available to us. You can't enter them on your own. And they would not have crossed that river had they not followed the plan of God. Church family, all I'm saying is this. Are you tired of wandering in the wilderness as a Christian? I mean, marching through life, just checking off days and weeks and months and even years is not what God intended. There's this glorious adventure of following Him by faith every single day. And if you do it, I promise you, you're going to enter into battle. That's where they're headed. But God has promised, I'll fight the battles for you. God has promised, I'll be your victory. God has promised, I'll be your shield and your defender. I'll be your leader. I will be your God. And so you come to this place of being ready. Get ready. Preparation. Jude 125 says, He deserves glory and majesty and power and authority. So as they stood back, it was a picture. That's our God. We sing, How great is our God. We sing, as we did this morning, How can it be? It's a wonder of all wonders that He would love us. Now move to verse 5 with me. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over ahead of the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and they went ahead of the people. Verse 7, Now the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of Israel, that they may know that just as I've been with Moses, I will be with you. You shall moreover command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, when you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Then Joshua came to the sons of Israel. Come here and hear these words that the Lord your God has spoken. Joshua said, by this you will know that the living God is among you, and that he will assuredly dispossess before you, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. I want to stop for a moment. If you do a little investigation, and I, I don't want us to go too deep into this, but the beauty is that each of those peoples that lived in the land of Canaan were marked by various things. Canaan itself is almost a materialistic kind of a mindset, and there's a spirit of greed in one, a spirit of lust in the other. And again, I'm not trying to over-spiritualize, but this is what you need to hear. Moving into the promised land, moving into the place of God's promises for our lives, not just crossing a physical river east of Israel, but for you and for me, there are some things in our life, some hurts and some habits and some hang-ups that we need to let go of. There are some deep, deep-seated sins that beset us very easily. Some of us have not let go of grudges. Some of us have struggled with lust. Some of us have struggled with materialism, and the grip of the things of this world is keeping you from entering into God's promise. And God's saying here in a very dynamic way, you move when I move, you follow me by faith, I'll fight the battle, and I will take those things out of your life. Some of you are trying to man up or woman up, as it were, and manage your sin. You need to stop managing your sin and abide in Jesus. Have you found yourself frustrated and fighting with the same temptation that you fought with five years ago or ten years ago? Have you found yourself defeated and beat down by something in your spiritual life? Maybe, just maybe, you need to recognize God said, I'll fight the battle. You just trust me by faith. Get ready. 
get set. That's the second one. And here's the word, consecrate. Consecrate. If the first one is preparation, the second one is consecration. What does that mean? It means to set aside. It, it means to be submitted. Fill that in. Now, the ark is critically important here. Consecrate is a beautiful word. It means hallowed or, or set apart, prepared, dedicated. But here, the stem of this Hebrew word points out personal responsibility. Uh, oftentimes, God would consecrate things, or the priest would, but he looks at every single one of us through this word, and he says to you and me today, set yourself apart for the work of the Lord. Set yourself apart, students. I realize holiness is not the norm in the dorm. I realize that holiness is not the norm in social life in college. And adults, it's not just the, the young, it's all of us. Holiness is not the norm in our society, but you are to be set apart. You're to be different. You're to be holy. And God says here in a very unique way, coming up to the culmination of a 500-year promise, you follow me. Be ready. When I move, you move. Set yourself apart. Submit yourself to me. And when you do, I'm going to give you a place that you can't even comprehend, a place of victory. Now that ought to make a dried up Baptist want to shout. We can live and walk in victory. Some of you may go to lunch and wake up to that one statement. Because I don't know about you, but I want to live in victory. Amen? I want to walk in victory as a parent. I want to walk in victory in my marriage. I want to walk in victory as a church. And what does that mean? It means that we walk in the, the authority and the power of the Spirit of God. It means that we begin to boldly sow seeds of the gospel and see people saved. It means that the church grows not just numerically, but the kingdom grows as we reach our neighbors, the nations, and the next generation. It means that people get their hearts right and bitterness and racism and strife and evil are dispossessed out of our our hearts and lives and our hearts are ruled by love and they're led by the Lord and God himself is our God who tabernacles with us my desire is that we would get ready preparation we'd get set consecration we'd be set apart and submitted and ultimately go it's the realization of God's faithfulness the realization of God's faithfulness and I'll Begin to wrap this up, but I want us to look at verse 14 and following. So when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan with the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant before them, and when those who carried the Ark came to the Jordan and the feet of the priests carrying the Ark were dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks all the days of the harvest. So we know that this was the, the flood stage. The waters which were flowing down from above stood up and rose up in one heap, a great distance away at the city of Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those which were flowing down toward the sea of Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off. The waters stopped. They're walking again on dry ground. The people crossed opposite Jericho, and the people who carried the Ark of the Covenant stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all of Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. Here's what I would say to you. You need to be confident in godly leadership. And I'm not just pointing to me as the pastor. I'm simply saying this that we must realize God's faithfulness. 
we must watch for the hand of God moving. I believe with all of my heart, probably more than I ever have at any moment as a Christian, that this stage of our lives together, God called me here two years ago. I believe it with all of my heart. In two weeks, we're bringing an associate pastor. Our, our, we, we've had it in the bulletin. And I pray that God would just confirm in your heart what he's confirmed to others in the staff and the personnel committee, that God is moving in a unique way to do outreach and discipleship in and through this church to stir people toward living out of the wilderness into the victory. My desire is to see us as a people of God begin to claim the promises of God, to walk in power, to pray in faith, to live in His Word, to witness to the world. And all of those things are wrapped up right here in this metaphor of crossing over from one side to the other. Let me ask you this. Who's leading your life? Be honest. Are you sitting on the throne of your own heart? Are, are you calling the shots? Oh, you say, well, I'm a Christian, Brother Scott. Are you wandering in the wilderness because you've said, God, I'm not going to do this, that, or the other? And, and you've said yes to Jesus for salvation, but you've said, you know, God, I just am going to stop right there. It's just too uncomfortable to think about this. God's calling some of you to a unique place of supernatural living, even today. You realize that Joshua is in his 80s at this point. There are no excuses. God fought the battle. God stopped the river. God led the people. And God will continue to lead in our lives if we will trust and obey. There's no other way, as the song says. No other way. I, I want to pray. This may be kind of a strange place. There's a, an awkward stillness to this, but here's the reason. Forty years before this event in Joshua 3, they came right up to the same place. They sent out spies who came back with a report that said very, very clearly, yes, it is all that God said, but we are afraid and we're not going to trust God. Are we standing right on the edge of supernatural breakthrough that God desires for this church, for your family, for your life? Are you there? Are you going to follow the Lord? Are you going to trust Him? Are you going to step out in faith? You see, the water didn't dry up until they stepped out. And since when they stepped out, they stood firm on dry ground. God fought and won the victory. Jesus Christ has fought and won the victory. You don't have to manage your sin. You have to just give it to Him. Confess and forsake it, and He will cleanse you. Let's pray together today. Father, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. Oh, I pray, God, that today we would get ready, get set, and go. That we would move out by faith and trust you. And I pray that we would do that for your glory. I pray today that if there's someone here that has never experienced even the freedom that is in Christ that we've sung about, they've never experienced the joy of a relationship with you, and sin has kept them separated. God, I pray that today would be the day of their homecoming, that they would trust you by faith and be saved. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that you're doing and even all you're going to do right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing a hymn.